This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Talking Halos. I'm your host today, Jared Timms, and I am joined alongside two really good co-hosts of mine, Barack Davis and Nate Green. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Good. Fantastic. Good, good. Brock, you golf yet? You golf lately, should I say? <laughs> no, I think I golfed last Sunday, and that's the last time I've golfed, so it's been it's been a little over a week. It's disappointing. I was hoping we could see another uh, end of the 80s at least. So. I know. Are we excited for a little uh, baseball season to start? I know, I, I believe, hopefully, pitchers and catchers report on today, actually, when this podcast is coming out. I know we're recording this on Monday, but the 17th, which should be Wednesday, today. Yep. I'm excited. Yep. Very. Little very enthusiasm, excited. boys. Baseball season's I back. Just, I'm just glad we're back for 162. And I wish that there was a little more done on the Angels' end, I guess. But, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we're always going to be saying that. I think every team kind of goes into into the season saying that because that's just kind of how, how it goes. I know, yeah. I, I feel that, too. I do, I do. And I was actually going to ask you guys how we feel about that. So, I guess let's just kind of jump right into that, and then I'll kind of, I, I guess, do the introductions that I normally do. So, let's just jump right into that. How, how are we feeling about the Angels' Brock, I'll, I'll kind of start with you. I mean, I know you just kind of gave you a little bit of two cents, but if you want to kind of jump into maybe rant, complain a little bit about it, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's let's get a little bit off our chest here and start this morning off right. Yeah, you mean I'm not I'm not super upset, and I think it's because I think that this off season was kind of tough to begin with because there wasn't there wasn't a ton of options going into the off season. Like there really there really wasn't. Like there was there was a lot of options when it came down to mid to lower tier. There was a lot of options. But as far as like what the free agency predictions kind of showed is like uh, upper tier, there was really only a couple options when it came to pitching. So it's not like we came in and there was like DeGrom, Verlander, Cole, Sindergaard, Stroman, like just this plethora of of good pitching, good starting pitching options, and the Angels missed out on all of them. And even on the one Bauer that everybody was considering the elite starting free agent, starting pitcher free agent on the market, he was still overrated and ended up being heavily overpaid. So I'm not even upset that we didn't get him at the at the end of the day due to what his contract ended up being like. So I guess it's not necessarily. I'm not mad at the Angels. Not like I'm like really Manassian or or you know mad at at Marino or anything like that. It's just more or less the cards that we were dealt, or really all 30 teams were dealt this off season, just weren't that fantastic. So I'm hoping that the trade market could heat up a little bit. I guess that's kind of where I would maybe say something about the Angels organization this off season is I feel like they could have maybe got a bigger trade done. Um, you know, like a Darvish type trade or or John Gray, uh, Herman Marquez, that kind of deal. So I guess that's really where my head's at, and I just hope that kind of heats up throughout this off season, maybe through before the trade deadline. And I haven't really done a tremendous in depth look of what the free agents are going to be looking like this next off season, but I know just from a few names that I remember being free agents this off season, it's going to be a little more of a plethora of 
bullpen pitching and pitching in general. So that's all I have to say about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. You bring up a lot of good points, and it's, it's it'll be interesting. And you have to hope that the Angels, you know, hopefully, will be in it around the trade deadline and see what they might be able to pull off. And, you know, at the moment, Monday, I know this podcast, like I said, it's coming out Wednesday, but at the moment, there's still a couple decent free agent relievers that could really make or break the Angels offseason if they if they are able to sign one of them, and I know they're in on a couple of them. So let, we'll end up, you know, let's just wait and see what happens on that. Nate, you want to give your two cents before we go through a little introduction action? Yeah, I'm a little bit more disappointed that Brock, um, just, just because you see some of the trades that were made, like the Padres didn't really give up too much for uh, Musgrove, didn't really give up too much for Darvish, and you're sitting here going, we have all these prospects. The reason we got all these prospects was to make a deal. And we just kind of sat on our hands and, and waited for someone to make a deal with us instead of going out and making a deal. I know we just did the prospects or the uh, the best and worst trades in Angel history. And a lot of the best trades ended with Angels sending prospects to another team who did nothing. And a lot of the worst trades ended with Angels sending Major League Ready guys away and getting uh, overpaid guy back. So I think we did a lot of that. I mean, the Dexter Fowler trade comes to mind. And the other thing that was very frustrating is Manasian came out right away and said, we've got to unload Justin Upton's contract. And he's still yet to do that. And that's a big, big frustration for me. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that as well. And I'm glad you guys were able to vent here. And I, I think that the Upton contract, we've talked about, me and you talked about this. I think it's easier to get off with one year. Unfortunately, and I, I think that that's something that happens next off season. And yeah, I, I I I agree. And I also think you know when you look at the trade, and I think it's easier to trade next year. And this this is why because you have more stability. You're gonna know that Adele is playing out there. You're going to know Marsh is playing out there. You're going to know Detmers and Rodriguez are in the rotation. Sandoval's in the rotation, barring anything happening. You're going to know those guys are ready to go. So I think it's easier to trade the younger younger prospects you have next offseason. And I, I I would agree. I think that you know we do see some of the trades that happen in going and getting Musgrove and Darvish was, I believe, a little bit of an underpay as well, and, you know, it, it, Snell got a lot back in return for some reason. I'm not sure why. So I, 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 I see it, you know, there were a lot of trades that happened, even the Jamison tie-on trade, even though he was going to New York no matter what, even that trade looks really, really good for the Yankees, in a sense, you know. I mean, I think they still... Slightly overpaid, but they didn't really give up that much. So, yeah, you look at a lot of the trades that happen around the league this offseason. It's it's kind of mind-boggling to me and probably a lot of you guys and both of you that are with me here why the Angels didn't make any of those trades. But, I mean, when you talk to me all the time, Nate, you bring up a really good point. Alex Cobb is Jake Odorizzi, correct? I mean, with everything that we've said. It's the same exact picture. Uh, you're paying him less money, but... They're both five-inning guys that you're just praying can get you through five innings because once they get through that lineup the third time, it's it's done. Their, their numbers get really, really bad. Exactly. So, I mean, don't be upset that the Angels didn't go out and get Jake Odorizzi because they basically got Jake Odorizzi and they only were paying $5 million plus Jemai Jones, which is going to hurt me and, and it's, it's going to hurt down the road. It really will because Jemai Jones is going to be a major leaguer and they're going to have him for six years, whatever you want to take about that. But you still got your Jake Odorizzi for just $5 million. So, you know, don't be don't be too, too upset about that. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, of course, you know, I've been getting hammered on social media, on Twitter, from Omar about my grades that I've given. I'm not even going to explain it. I just need to, I, I just, it's like an everyday thing from him. It's like nothing against you, Omar. I mean, I'll explain it to you right now. I think it's been an A-plus offseason from the guy's, They've been able to fill holes. It's been impressive that they've been able to fill these holes with the players that they've gotten. I mean, you don't go out and basically build half a new team. Like, that doesn't just happen. I mean, Manassian's going to have to do it in back-to-back years, which is going to be even more impressive. And next year, he's going to have more money and hopefully some more pieces around him to do that with. But it's been a it's been an A-off season because of the fact that they've been able to fill those holes. But 
the players that they filled them with are C players, are average players, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not upset about the offseason, and that's just, you know, my two cents on it. I'm not upset, but they definitely could have done more. So, I mean, I I, I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. Baseball starts today, hopefully. So, yeah, are, are we all good right now, guys? We got all the negative vibes out. Do we need to say anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have tons of negative vibes, to be honest. It's not... <laughs> I didn't really go into this season really expecting to be coming out a heavy playoff competitor. And so I think that's kind of that, – that's the problem is I think a lot of Angels fans, which I, I don't know if it's a problem per se. I, I, don't, I don't blame them. But I think we go into every season thinking like, okay, what moves can we do right now this offseason to make us a heavy playoff competitor? You can't – our team hasn't really been in that position, in, in my opinion, to, to – realistically make it to the World Series and be a World Series team in a long time. And that's just my opinion with, you know, we've, we've talked about this before where, where nine times out of ten a, a team can't go into the offseason and monopolize the offseason. Like, it just doesn't happen. And that's that's pretty much what we would have needed for the last few years to be able to put ourselves in a position where, okay, yeah, the Angels are a World Series team now. Like, we would have needed, last year we would have needed to sign Rendon and Cole and a couple relievers, and then we're like, oh, snap, all right, we're a World Series team. But that doesn't happen, either financially or because that just doesn't happen because teams, the closest that we've had to that this year was the Padres. The Padres have, and they didn't even really monopolize free agency. They did 90% of their work via trade. So it's, I think that sometimes our expectations are a little bit too high which is sad to say, but and, and I, I speak for myself too. I think sometimes my expectations are a little high for what I think we're going to come out of in, in the off season, and that's fine. You could be hopeful, but the problem is is that when it doesn't meet those expectations, you kind of have to look back and be like, okay, like I see where my mind could have wandered off to be a little more hopeful than what was realistic, and we kind of got to take baby steps because that's how – Real, you know, that's how real life is. They take sometimes they have to take baby steps due to money, or whether or not other teams want to trade, or vice versa. It's not always just the Angels' decision. Like I don't, I, I genuinely don't think the Angels organization sits there in the office and Manassian and Marino sit there and go, "Do you want? Do you want to be good this year?" Because I'm not, I'm not really thinking I want to be good this year. Like I, I kind of want to suck. Uh, Eighty and eighty-two. Does that, does that sound okay to you? Like they don't. That's not the conversation that's taking place. They they want to try to be good, but they can only really do as much as they can with the cards they're dealt. So, I mean, I just want to see them play baseball. I want to see baseball in general. And so I'm not really butthurt at all. No, no it, exactly. No, and, and But I do think there is the meeting of let's sit down and how do we make money and how do we also put yeah. a good team on, on the board. I think that's... And I think a lot of teams do that, though, too. You know, I think a lot of teams are, how do we make money from the owner's standpoint, but how do we put a good team on the on the field? You know, so I, I, I'm with you on that. And when it comes to expectations, we're going to talk about the, the Pakoda standings that came out, or projections that came out this past week. I, I, we'll get into that in a little bit. So, yeah, I you know, constructive talk there, guys. I, I really like it, and I... I I, I see where you guys are getting from here. I do. I do. And it's been year after year after year of disappointment lately. And it, and it really does suck. I, I agree. You know, I mean, you, we every Angels fan that we have on for talking talking fans, it's the same thing. It's just, it feels disappointment. I think disappointment gets brought up almost every time somebody comes on and talks with us. It's disappointment this, disappointment that. So, yeah, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you guys at all. It's, it's extremely disappointing. But, Brock, one question before we, we get moving any further here. Would you say that this is the first year that the Angels have actually tried to build around Mike Trout and their best players, Rendon and Otani? Um, I would say pretty, yeah. I mean, I could say that. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember two off-seasons ago, to be honest. But, I, I mean, last year we didn't really do a ton. I think, if I remember correctly, we pretty much ended up with Rendon – Bundy, um, I can't even, can't even remember. 
There you go. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, realistically, from, from what I remember, like, when you brought up the A-plus offseason where filling the holes kind of comes into play, I think they did pretty well with the cards that they were dealt. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is we had also talked this talked about this last time Nate, was, Nate and I were on the show together, how I talked about how you could really tell they're building around the defense that the Angels mm-hmm. provide. Yeah. due to the ground ball percentage, and I think that that's a really cool thing that, they, that they've done. And I do think that they have done a good job with increasing the offensive and defensive depth around Trout and around Rendon and around Fletcher and around our strengths. So I think that's kind of what, like, you're getting at with the A-plus offseason is, like, yeah, sure, we didn't get two aces via trade or signed Bauer and traded for Marquez. Like, sure, we didn't do that. But we signed and or traded for some pretty solid depth to go around the solid pieces that we have already. And I think, you know, a true Angels fan that watches all the time, they know that there's just this thing, this stigma that that we have and the Angels have where it's like, okay, nothing's going to go right this year. Yeah, what can go wrong will go wrong. The curse. Right, it's so the it's curse. Like, it's a curse. So we, we know that, and it's almost like it's a waiting game to see when that's not going to happen. Like, what year is that not going to be there? What year can Heaney go out there and just give a solid 175 to 200 and show us what he's really capable of? Because if that were to happen, that's that's going to be crazy in itself because we know he's capable of, of providing pretty solid middle to upper tier pitching at his best. Bundy, we can see what he's capable of. And I think Canning is capable of a lot. And I think um, Otani is his his ceiling super high. And it's just like none of those things we could ever get to click, you know, even even remotely close at the same time. It's always, you know, one of them can be good for a few weeks and then they get hurt. And then another one comes in and is good for a few weeks. The only one that really stayed consistent last year was Bundy. And it seems like that's kind of. Every year we have just like the one guy that's kind of holding up the ship and then everyone else is drowning. And it's it's upsetting. And I think, I think to go back to your original question, it is, I think they did a good job with building around our, the, our, the positives we already have with the amount of financial flexibility that we were provided with this offseason because we did not have that much money coming into this offseason to – you know, make a type of Dodger-Bauer move that they did. Um, And I'm hoping that now that we've kind of solidified some pieces, which I guess most of the pieces we did solidify were kind of just like a one-year type deal, which kind of sucks, because I wish that some of them were maybe one or two years instead of just one. And that way, next offseason, when we have a little bit more money, we can even increase on that depth a little bit further with maybe some A or B pieces rather than C pieces because I feel like we got a lot of C pieces but not very many A or B pieces. Yeah, and, I mean, I think you bring up the most important factor here, and that's clicking. (laughs) You know, nothing seems to have clicked lately. And that is the biggest thing I think that happened last last season, granted 60 games, nothing clicked. When the starting pitching worked, the bullpen didn't. When the bullpen worked, the hitting didn't. You know, like, it was one thing after another thing after another thing. If if the hitting and the pitching were there, the defense let you up. You know, that that's, it just, nothing seemed to click. And I think that was the biggest, biggest thing. Nate, do you have any final thoughts on this subject before we get going on to another yeah, subject? Just one thing, uh, kind of to bring up what Brock was talking about, how Angel fans, their expectations are a little high. I think part of that is, is the front office. Like, you hear every year, hey, we're going to be competitive. We're going to go win a World Series. Why, why can't you just be realistic with us one year and be like, hey, we don't have it. Give us two years. We're going to rebuild this thing. We know what we're doing, but we're not going to be World Series teams this year. It, it's just, you get old. You, you get really frustrated hearing Artie Marino come out and say, hey, we're going to spend big money, we're going to win a World Series, and we're going to make this team really, really good. And then he goes out and spends pocket change for C-plus guys and says, all right, guys, we're going to win the World Series. And, you know, it comes to July, and we're 15 games out going, Artie, what happened to spend a big and win a World Series? I agree. You know, it's tough to it's tough to watch this sometimes. It really, 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 really is. But, yeah, I, I, 
I have, you know, nothing else really to say on this besides maybe a curse. I think there's a little bit of a curse going on to some degree. I know that's kind of like a running joke, but it really does feel like that at some point. So, guys, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Not watching it, but listening to this podcast. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it here at Talking Halos. And I hope you guys enjoy what we're doing here. And if you do, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. Tell a friend that that this podcast is amazing and you want to you should listen to this podcast so go do that and also like i said give us a review if you really like what we're doing i love seeing those it's quite a lot a lot of fun if you have any questions topic ideas or just want to join us for a talking fan segment again guys not going to do that for too much longer since the season's about to start but i can probably squeeze a couple of you guys in here and there if you want to do that Go ahead and shoot me a message on Twitter at Jared underscore Tim's. You can shoot Brock a message at BDROX. You can always message any of our social medias. And, of course, go follow us there. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Go do that. Instagram has been a lot of fun. We've been doing polls. We've been posting a lot of videos, previews to podcast, questions, all that fun stuff. So go do that. And, as always, you can email us at TalkingHalos at gmail.com. But first, before we get going, any further, give us one second to pay the bills. What's going on, everybody? I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you'll get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as other hosting sites would charge you just for the initial setup fee. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sporting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And now, back to talking halos. All right, guys, enough with all the introductions. Let's get this show rolling a little bit more, because I know we just talked for 20 minutes about some other stuff. And let's talk a little bit about the Pakoda standings or projections. I know that I kind of mentioned that we were going to talk about them a little bit, and this came out from Baseball Perspectives this past week, I guess, probably a couple days ago. We didn't really get to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it until we had everybody together. It makes it a little bit more fun to talk about this stuff. And has the Angels finishing in second in the West, in the AL West, which is surprising, I guess you could say at least. The fourth best record in the AL, which is the number one wild card spot, and I believe the eighth best record in all of baseball at 87 and 75. Let's talk about this. Brock, give your thoughts first on this. See, this is this is another problem too, where we look at what the projections were like prior to the off season, and then. Then we make some moves, and we're like, okay, well, what do these moves do to our projections? And then these projections come out, and as much as I would love to believe these projections, I just, I just don't see it happening, dude. I just don't. And the reason I don't is because I'm aware and realistic with our angels' curse. Those <laughs> projections are based off of if all, all of our team on paper clicks. If all of our team on paper doesn't get hurt, doesn't – doesn't have any issues with clicking. Our, our pitching actually, you know, there isn't any issues. And I just, we can't ever, ever, ever get through a year where that doesn't happen, where we don't have some catastrophic, like, you know, two weeks into the season, Andrew Heaney, yeah, I need Tommy John. And we're like, dude, you got to be kidding me, bro. You know, or something, just something like that, where it just seems like every single year, a vital piece of our lineup or our rotation or both just gets obliterated shortly through the shortly through the beginning of the season. So I think 100% on paper, if our team can stay healthy, if they click and they can provide on, you know, at least the average to above average of what they're capable of, that 87 games is highly, highly obtainable. Do I think it's going to happen? 
Probably not. I see us more in the 84, 85 range and being like one or two games out of a wild card spot. And that's, that's still, that's still being a little hopeful because realistically, like I don't, I don't really see us being that much better than we have the last couple years. Um, because on paper, we're not that much better. And so I think that if everything goes right, like if everything goes right and we have a couple over performers and, you know, substitute a couple people that are going to probably underperform what they're supposed to, I think that we're capable of 87 to 90 games for sure. I think we're capable of being 90 game winner on paper, but I'm more in the ballpark of probably, if I were to put my life on, I'd probably say 81 to 84 wins is where I see us being. And that would probably put us at least two games out of a wild card spot. Nate? Yeah, uh, I hate these projections every year. It's just basically what team on paper is supposed to be good, and we know the game's not played on paper. Um, We've seen it countless times where these teams look amazing on paper and they end up blowing it up halfway through the year. So, um, yeah, right now I think they're a 76 to 81 team. I'm – I'm a little bit more harsh because I know the Damn. pitching is not there. Um, I really don't think the pitching is there. Like, you, you really have had – you have some way too many question marks. What Cobb are we going to get? What Quintana are we going to get? Is Myers going to bounce back or is he Hector Robles – or, uh, yeah, Robles 2.0? Like, there's just way too many things that it's like, ah. Oh. So, yeah, I'm not super thrilled about this. Uh, but I, But I do think that – this would be the year to take advantage of the AL West because Houston's kind of down, Seattle's down, Texas is down. But the other thing that this these guys don't really take into account is we always say Oakland's going to win 80 to 81 games, and they come out and win 90 every year, it feels like. So I feel like they're a lot less down. strong, though. Every year we say that, though. <laughs> like, oh, who's going to replace this guy? And then all of a sudden they have some dude that we've never heard of, and he goes out there and freaking – you know, 1.6 ERA out of the bullpen. It's like, who That's the heck true. is Liam Hendricks? Like, yeah. so it, it's just one of those things where they, they take some teams a little bit more seriously than others because they're bigger markets. Um, and, yeah, I just – I think that they're really, really downplaying the A's in this. And Oakland, they traded for Elvis Andrews, and everyone's going, why Elvis? And somehow he's going to hit 280 and play really good defense, and we're going to be like, wow, that was an unbelievable trade. So – um, yeah, I yeah, not a huge fan of these predictions, but we'll see. Hopefully, we get better than my seventy six. I'm hoping that we make a move early to get another arm, and that would get us closer to that eighty four eighty five range. For me, for once, for these projections, because I'm a big stats guy, we all know this. I'm into the projections. I really like them. I just want to see the Angels put at like a seventy win team. And then win 80 games or 82 games and be like, all right, it was a good season. You know, like, yeah. not to like make yeah. a joke or anything about that, but like one time I want to, I, I'd, I'd like to see, because I mean, I'm not going to disagree with Nate. Like, they could totally be a 72 win team. They could, they could be a, you know, a bad team this year. They could, if nothing ha- nothing plays out correctly, it doesn't click. They could be a 70 win team. But I can also side with Brock and think that they could be a 92-win team if everything works out correctly. And, hell, if we see Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh come up and absolutely rake, if somehow, you know, Reed Detmers finds his way up, I don't think that happens. Or Chris Rodriguez, again, another guy I don't think happens, finds his way up and they just absolutely shove and are the next big thing, Walker Bueller-esque type of thing. You know, 90, 92 wins, I could totally see it. But, you know, all jokes aside, I would – really like to see at some point the Angels with this type of team be projected like 70 wins and then them actually win 82, 84 games and everybody's like, wow, the Angels were actually had a good year. Like it was not not expected, you know? So all jokes aside on that, that's that's just my two cents. I'm, I'm into the projections. I like them. I don't think I quite understand these where the White Sox ended. I think they had the White Sox at like a below 500 team or right at 500. Not going to happen. The A's right at about – the A's, like we said, could always be good. You know, I think they had the Braves at a 500 team, and I think they're by far the best team in the East, whatever the Mets did. They had the Mets at 90 wins, and I don't think the Mets are even – the Mets might be a 500 team this year. 
You know, so I, I, I'm with you on that. Sometimes I don't understand the projections, but then again, you know, it, it's my brain going up against the computer, and it's like old school baseball against new school baseball, you know. So I'm, I can, I, I can side with both you guys on this one. I, I, I could, I don't know. <laughs> projections are weird. They are what they are. So on to our next little topic here. I asked it on Twitter a whole bunch. I asked it on our Instagram page. Guys, there were four pitchers who signed for one year, $8 million this offseason so far, starting pitchers. That'd be Jose Quintana, Adam Wainwright, Jay Happ, and Robbie Ray. Which one would you rather have signed and why? Nate, I'll start with you. Uh, and it's funny because I'm not a huge Quintana guy, but he's my, he's my favorite out of the four. You know, Wainwright was never going to leave St. Louis. The only other place he would have gone was Atlanta, so that guy's kind of out. For us, Hap is older, coming off uh, he, he coming off a really good year, but older pitcher, don't really want to run that risk again. I, I think Quintana's injuries were something that you can get past and just, you know, go out there, give us a 3-5, 4 ERA, and uh, throw 170 innings. So I, I think that's the best case. Robbie Ray has the highest ceiling, in my opinion, but he also has the uh, best possibility of being Julio Tehran and going out there with the uh, worst ERA in the league. So I think Quintana is the safest of the four. Brock? I was literally verbatim exactly my thoughts. <laughs> I like Quintana the most, and I was literally going to say that I think Ray is, is exactly what Nate just said. Like, Ray has the highest potential, but I think Quintana has the highest consistency ability out of the four. Um, and just with age, and uh, I'm, I don't want to say this before I sound dumb, but Quintana's a lefty, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, so I, I like that, and Ray's a lefty too, correct? Yep. Yeah, and Hap. Yeah. And Hap, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, like he said, Hap is a little older for me, a little, little inconsistent with the injury kind of thing, but uh, between, I knew for sure between that four it was going to be Ray or Quintana for me, and I just know that Quintana I liked. I liked what he could have, what he provided to the Cubs rotation, and I think that he's going to feel comfortable coming to us with Madden being his manager again. And I think, I think he's going to surprise us a little bit. I really think he will. I think he's going to go out there and give us a, a mid three ERA and, and be an innings eater. I think. I think he's going to surprise a lot of Angels fans. Yeah. Not the next Bundy. I don't think he's going to be the next Bundy. Like Bundy was a whole nother level. I think. I don't think any of us expected him to be a top ten American League pitcher, but Alex Cobb's gonna be the next Bundy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> I mean, that would be sick. Like, I think that if if Quintana goes out there and Cobb goes out there and they just end up blowing us away, and everyone else can kind of perform how we expected them to, then I think it would be, I think we'd be pretty good on paper for sure. That's or at the end of the year. Yeah, 100%. And and I think, um, just to kind of tail back a little bit, because Nate brought up a couple good points when he talked about it, I think that, realistically, I know that we always do say this with the A's, and you're right, but them losing Semyon, I think, is huge. Um, I think that they saw that in their record last year and, and how they performed last year when Semyon was, was cold all last season. And I think now that they don't have Hendricks, I think that's a huge hit. And, you know, yeah, it's true. They can get a lot of guys to go out there that we literally, like you said, we've never heard of the guy and he comes up and he's, he's, he's solid. But I think that at the end of the day, at least on paper, and, you know, they're going to have to get lucky to be at the same performance level that they have been, that the A's still on paper have gotten weaker. The Astros have gotten weaker. The Rangers, if, if, about the they got better, season, but think, still not. Yeah, I mean, better than what they were, but I don't think they're they're really going to give us too much of a hard time. I think the Rangers have always kind of been a pain in our butt, regardless of skill level for some reason. Um, but I think that we can still we can still pull out winning more games than them in the regular season. Um, like against them, I mean, not in record. We're definitely going to beat them in record. But when it comes to actually versus the Rangers, I think we're going to come out come out on top of them. And the Mariners, we, we should probably smoke the Mariners this year too. So I think we need to account for the rest of the division getting a little bit weaker. And I think we're really the only team that got 
I mean, other than the Rangers. I think the Rangers got better, but I still don't think we're significantly better than the Rangers. But I don't think the A's or the Astros got better by any means, and we did, I think, especially if if the players that we added can perform. I think Iglesias in the closer role is a huge is a huge underrated move that I think that we're going to continue to overlook until halfway through the season when hopefully it pans out right. He's going to have like 10 saves already with like a sub two and a half, sub three ERA. And we're going to be like, damn, I forgot that we even got this dude. And he's been a solid closer. And I think that, I don't even remember, Jared brought it up a few episodes ago where he brought up that we um, blew, how many saves did we blow last year? A quarter of the game. 15. Yeah, so a quarter of the games. So, like, we brought up that if we can even cut those in half, cut those blown saves in half, like how much significantly better our record would be is is insane. Yep. So it's kind of like one of those things where I think the Iglesias trade is going to be probably the most overlooked and underrated trade that we made this whole offseason. Because I don't think when we come out of this offseason, people will, you know, when an Angels fan gets asked, like, hey, you know, who'd you guys sign or who'd you get? Like, nobody's going to bring him up. Like, I, I don't know why I feel that way, but I just feel like, no, that's not going to be the first person that comes to mind for people. They're going to say um, someone else, which I might, I'm having a brain fart, but I just don't think that they're going to they're gonna bring him up. Quintana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe Quintana, maybe um, – Maybe they're bringing up Fowler for whatever reason, or the other yeah. Iglesias, um, or maybe Kurt, Kurt Suzuki, yeah. you know? But, like, realistically, I just don't think that Rossiel Iglesias is going to be, like, the number one move that people think in their head, and he's going to be the, the best move that we made. And I'm confident in saying that, and I think that he's going to be the most pivotal role in in – giving us wins over what we had last season because of those saves that, that hopefully he's not blowing. Uh-oh, Jared. I think that's another closer fan. No, I don't. We're not getting into this. <laughs> the best pitcher still needs to pitch when he can pitch. Like, I, I, don't, want to, I don't really want to get into this, this, this topic at <laughs> all because to, – I had to throw it out there. I, know, I knew you were. I knew you were smiling the entire time when he was bringing up closers. I, trust me, I know. I was looking away like I, – I know, but – I I am too. I I agree. You know, like that was the first thing Perry Manassian said. He said, you know, I don't think there's an issue with the starting rotation. In fact, you look at Bundy, Heaney, and Canning, they were actually really good pitchers. It was everybody else who made starts that weren't very good, whether it's Tehran, Sandoval, Suarez. Those were the guys who weren't very good. So, yeah, Otani pitched in two games and was not good. And actually, in fact, like Otani lost the game like that was a negative game right there in the first game he pitched because I think they would have angels were horrible dude yeah the angels probably should have won those games when you look at it but yeah when you again when you go to what needed to be addressed which was the back of the the back of the rotation you went and got Quintana and Cobb for the back of the rotation yes four and five guys I know but that's still better than Throwing out Jose Suarez or Julio Tehran or or anybody like that, the, the the bullpen games, it's better than that. Hopefully, I mean we haven't played any games yet. Hopefully, it's better than that. You address you address the bullpen. You went out. You went out. You just mentioned it. 50, a quarter of the games were blown saves. You went out and you got a closer. You went out and you got Alex Claudio. You basically redid the whole bullpen almost minus a couple guys. You went out and redid it, and that's what you had to address. You went out and got a backup catcher was what you needed. You went out and got a right fielder for hopefully half a season until, I mean, heck, maybe you can bring up Adele. Scott Shebler's down there I know isn't ideal. They just signed John Jay, which, again, we didn't even mention, but I didn't even feel like it needed to be mentioned. John Jay signed. I mean, not that any of those guys are huge factors, but when you have Trout and Rendon on the field at the same time, you don't need a whole lot of offense. I mean, that that is a good amount of your offense right there for you. They they get the offense rolling. So, again, I mean, I'm just making more and more good points to why it might, might have even been an A-plus offseason, and I don't need to change anybody's mind. And, I, again, it's not something that I need to – I feel like I need to explain, but it starts making a lot of sense when you look at what the Angels needed and what they went and got. You know, hopefully it works out on paper. Hopefully. I, I really hope it does. But, again, that's – just my two cents on that, and I, I think I'm going to leave it there, and we'll just kind of move on to our next final topic because we do have just a couple more minutes to talk about this. And 
it was I don't like to, you know, bring up videos from other people, but I really like watching Foolish Baseball. And I posted on Twitter and I hope, you know, I you guys enjoy it. You guys know who Foolish Baseball is and baseball bits. I know Nate knows, but Brock, you know who what that is, right? Yes. Okay. Well, if you don't, go on, look it up on YouTube, Foolish Baseball. He does a lot of great videos. I want to say he might even be an Angels fan because he did a, he's done videos on Trout, Simmons, and I want to say Albert Pujols too. So quite a lot of fun on that on that part. And Shohei Otani, I think he did too. So yeah. there, there's a lot of Angels videos on there too, and it's a lot of fun, and he kind of goes into a lot of depth about everything. But the video that came out today was, or the other day, was kind of fun because he made himself the commissioner of baseball and changed baseball completely to make it better for everybody, whether it's the fans, the players, the owners, everybody in general. And a couple ideas that he came out with just to help on the field, in a sense, was the pitch clock when the bases are empty, 18 seconds, move the mound back by two feet, don't let pitchers use foreign substances, basically, you know, X that out, do not let anybody use anything like that unjuice the balls as well, Um, only let two players be on the right or left side of the bag, so basically no more shifting, but in a sense you can still shift, because you can put one player just to the right or the left of the, of second base, yeah, second base, which makes a lot of sense, investing upwards of $10 million into your minor league system each year to to make that your whole farm system better in a sense because if you invest in that you're going to make everything else better and those are just a couple things so I wanted to ask you guys what is one rule and I know I'm kind of throwing Brock into into the flames here because I've already talked about to Nate about this but what is one rule you guys would implement in baseball to make it better I know actually you guys can give a couple rules if you want because I think things kind of fall into place when you start changing rules, like you have to change this to change that to change that. So, Nate, I'll start with you to give Brock a couple minutes to think about this. What are a couple rules that you would change or implement to make baseball better, whether it's for the players, whether it's for the owners, whether it's making more money, whether it's for the minor leaguers, whatever. What are a couple rules you'd change? Uh, Well, I actually do want to stay – this isn't on the video, but I do want to stay with something we've talked about in the past – uh, I think Mercy Rule brings up a, a lot more fun ideas for fans. They, they're willing to stay seven innings and watch a walk-off because, you know, he even said in the video, you know, fans love the walk-off, they love the no-hitters and things like that. So if you allow a Mercy Rule after seven and they're allowed to walk off and, you know, they make it fun, you know, if somebody gets pie in the face or something, like, I think that would be fun. Fans would stay for seven innings and you wouldn't have fans leaving in the fifth inning of a 11-2 uh, to game or whatever it is. So, I think that's one rule that, that I would stick with, and not only would that help the players, it would help the fans. The players wouldn't have to throw um, some of these meaningless innings. You wouldn't have guys getting sent down because he had to throw four innings because he got he was you know the, the youngest guy had an option. So it's like, hey, just go out there, take one for the team, um, things like that. So I think that would really help everyone. And then the other one that, I thought it was a really good idea is really investing in the minor league systems. I've had a bunch of friends who have played in the minor league systems. They uh, they definitely say it, it's it's rough. They don't get too much money. And I think one of the really cool ideas would be to build a, like, dorm room environment type of thing right next to the field and allow everyone to stay there for free. Anyone who's on the team gets to stay there for free. And that way when you get moved up or moved down, you don't have to spend, you know, four days in a hotel and then figure out a house to rent or this or that. Like, that costs a lot of money for these guys. It's not easy, and sometimes there's nothing near the facility. You don't have your car with you, and it, now you're paying for Ubers and all this. And it, it just gets really expensive for a guy making, you know, $11 an hour or something. Like, not even that, like 11 cents an hour. Um so I think that those couple things would really help the players in the fans because now these players who are good can become great because they can really focus their their time in the off season to get better. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with that. Like I, we've had, both had a lot of friends that have been in the minors, and it's it's a struggle. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of minor leaguers. It's it's a struggle. Even even when you're on that cusp of AAA in the majors, you're kind of bouncing back and forth. That is a huge struggle for for players in general and. 
You know, it's it's not it's not easy for them. So I, I I'm fully I'm fully with that, especially myself being a I wouldn't necessarily call myself a big businessman, but I'm a, I I did major in business administration. I'm I'm getting my master's in marketing now, so I like to think I know a little bit about business. And the biggest thing you can do is invest into your team. And that would be a huge thing, especially when you're looking at what the Angels have done recently with bringing players up. Like, can you imagine if they invested into their minor league system just a little bit more? Like, if Artie Moreno did that, how good of a minor league system they would be? I mean, not saying that they would turn into the Rays or anything, but you'd see a lot more players around baseball just become better players because they're not having to go and work another job in the offseason to make money. They can focus on baseball full-time. So if you invested in your minor league system, you would ultimately get a better outcome out of it and have a better team at the end of the day. So I'm I'm totally with that. I think that is the – if I became an owner, not saying that I ever will, but somehow if I won the lottery and started making a lot of money, that's the first thing I would do is make my minor league system great because, first off, I think players would want to come play for me a little bit more. I could get a lot more. And that also helps your international signings, too, though I think it's going to end up getting to a a draft eventually anyways. But I think that would help the international side of things, too. If you said you were willing to invest into them a lot more, pay them more, give them better food. Because I've been in a minor league clubhouse before, and it's it's hot dogs, it's <laughs> nachos, it's, it's kids' food after games, unless a player's there. Like, I know... Mike Trout brought in Cheesecake Factory for the whole team every after every game. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool to hear that. That was one of the big things that they said. They, uh, I, I was able to ask a couple guys, what's the big thing about Mike Trout? Like, what are you learning from him? And they said this and that. And they, each one of them was like, but it's really cool that they always bring in food for us. Like, Mike Trout was bringing in Cheesecake Factory when he was rehabbing there, and he was super thankful that he was letting them come in, that, you know, letting him – Share, like take the limelight from those minor leaguers. So that was the cool thing that I, I remember from that whole, you know, Mike Trout rehab stint. So, Brock, what do you, you have any rule changes? Have I given you enough time to think about it? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I think mine might be a little bit of an easy answer, but I, I like the universal DH personally. I think that it, I don't know. I, I think the pitcher's hitting is just stupid. <laughs> and I think that, there's, and which is funny that I say that because everyone that I say that to that disagrees with it, they're like, no, no, we we like pitchers hitting. Like they consider themselves like baseball traditionalists, and I would consider myself a baseball traditionalist. Like I think some of the rule changes I have a hard time switching to, but this is not one of them. Like I think it's a waste of an at bat. I think that it introduces more possible injury for pitchers running on the bases, doing just these unnecessary things that just it's, – it's just dumb. That's just not how that, that position's built. They're not meant to go out there and hit and, and run. Um, and it's not worth the once in every five years where Bartolo Colon at bat happens for, to have a whole position uh, taken away so the pitchers can hit. Like, for me, it's just a stupid rule. I think that both American League and National League should have a designated hitter. I think that opens up the market for a lot of the Nelson Cruises of free agency to allow another 15 teams in on that player. And I think that that is why it took Nelson Cruz longer than it than it originally did to get signed because 15 teams weren't 100% sure whether Universal DH was coming back. And I think he would have been signed within the first month of free agency if, if the Universal DH was a permanent thing. I think he would have been signed pretty quickly. Um, and I, I think it opens up uh, more of a thought process for trades, too. Like, I think if the Universal DH was a thing right now, I think Justin Upton and Albert Pujols would be off of our payroll. And or definitely open up that conversation a lot more because right now it's not even really, you know, Justin Upton is a possibility for next year, but Albert Pujols has never really been a consideration. Um, and you say that, but... I know what the rebuttal would be where it's like, well, there's still 14 other teams that have a DH, so why wouldn't Pujols, why couldn't Pujols go to those other 14 teams? And it's because they already have an established DH already. Those guys already have someone that they like to put in that DH spot most of the time anyways. Whereas if a uh, universal DH got implemented right now and there were teams looking for a uh, universal or a uh, permanent kind of DH guy 
and they had some young guys. They wanted to maybe make a trade. I think Pujols would be a potential option. You know, who knows? I think that he could provide a little something out of the GH spot compared to some other guys. But, I mean, that's that's my easy answer. My second answer, I don't like taking away the shift, personally. I think that if you take away the shift, you're taking away a strategic factor of the game. And it would be similar to, and this is this is just my opinion, but it would be similar to saying, like, hey, you can still bunt. But you could only bunt if there's no one on base and it's the seventh inning or later. Like, it's like you're allowing it to happen, but you're altering when the manager or the coaching staff can implement the strategy. And I think that is where I don't like certain kind of rules in new baseball is that is when it takes away old school strategy or takes away the ability to implement a kind of older school strategy. I don't like it. And it's not like... When you shift, there are pros and cons. Like you're you're opening up a whole side of the field, and if anything, it shouldn't be a conversation of okay, how can we take away the shift or how can we alter the shift where it's not as dramatic. The conversation should be certain coaching staffs hindering on certain players saying, "Hey, dude, um, like they're going to shift on you every at bat. You need you need to learn how to hit." to the whole field or would they need to work on those players to not be such pole hitters like that that is the conversation that should be taking place not not altering the strategy of how a certain manager wants to shift his fielding based off of the history of how a certain player hits i think that if anything that's that's smart on that coaching staff and i don't like that they're considering altering a strategy i i just it's it's kind of it's kind of familiar, it's kind of similar to the whole three pitcher or not three pitcher three hitter minimum. It's kind of similar to that where it's like before it was a it was a specific strategy where you're looking at the lineup for that inning. You're looking at who you have in the bullpen. You're looking at righty lefty. You're looking at statistics of of what hitter has hit good against what specific pitcher and. You know, I do agree that it was fairly frustrating that in one half inning you could have three pitching pitching changes. Like, it was pretty annoying when you're trying to sit there and watch the game and it's like you get through one hitter and then they make a pitching change and it's a commercial. And then one hitter and then pitching change and a commercial, you're like, oh, my God, dude. Like, it's taking 25 minutes to get through this half inning. But at the same time, like, I feel like watching it last year – it was kind of tough seeing them put in a pitcher and then me knowing that that pitcher was going to have to face the next two, two guys too. And I don't know. It's it's kind of a tough topic for me to discuss because it's just I feel like you can't really win. I feel like once you go – once you pick one way, it's like you're losing out on a, on a lot, but then you're gaining a lot too. So it's kind of just what, what do you value more? And I just I don't necessarily like the rules that change the strategies. And I mean, if you really want me to get old school, old school, I would say that I would like uh, home plate collisions to be back. But I don't know how players feel about that. I'm I'm gonna run with what you had to say because I have I guess two that I would really change. And one I didn't even mention to you guys was on the video, but I wanted to save it for myself. Sorry, guys, I'm being a little bit greedy. But um, one of them is in not really a salary cap, but a salary floor for teams. Make teams spend at least $100 million a year on players. Because you look at it, there are a lot of teams right now not spending that amount of money and trying to, in a sense, make money or lose ball games. And, I mean, yes, the Rays are doing it right, but can you imagine how much better of a team the Rays would be if they spent just you know, 75 to $100 million in a year, like, that would be stupid. Or the A's or Baltimore not spending any money trying to lose type of thing. Not the A's are trying to do that, but Baltimore trying to do that. I mean, teams try to do that, I feel like, every year. So I'm going to say a salary floor, and that also has to do with, you know, an Upton or Pujols trade because I think that teams like that, like the Orioles or maybe not Tampa, but teams that aren't going to do so well will trade for higher contracts if they can get a prospect in return and help them build a little bit more. So I'll say a salary floor 
so that we don't have teams spending, you know, what Trevor Bauer is making next year. You know, I think I think three or four teams are spending on their entire team what Trevor Bauer is going to make next year, which is ridiculous. So I don't care about a salary cap. Go spend as much money as you want. That's I, in fact, no salary cap. That's stupid. I I, I don't like that at all. Um, but salary floor for sure. I think that that it goes into investing into your team and investing into your fans. Like Baltimore Orioles fans can't be happy. They're a, and people might disagree with me, but Baltimore Orioles are a dynasty. Like they are. They've been around for a, a long time. They've had one. Like they had one of the best players in baseball history, Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, you look at some of the guys that, I mean, not to mention, I mean, Jim Palmer, Robinson. <laughs> Brooks Robinson. I mean, the Frank fact that Baltimore, like, you go talk to a Baltimore Orioles fan, and they, they're, they got to be pissed that this is happening, and this has been happening so long. So, I, I'm, I'm for a salary floor, you know, it makes teams better in general, it makes teams go out and spend money on their team, and not lose games in a sense, like actually have a real loser. So I'm I'm all for that salary floor. And then my last one would be making getting into games Monday through Thursday free. You still have to pay for parking, which is going to make you a lot of money, and you still have to pay for food. But game, getting into games are free. I think that's that would be a huge thing. Monday through Thursday. Now Friday, Saturday, Sunday make people make people buy the tickets for whatever the price is that you want. I mean, don't go stupid outrageous, but make it how it is now, you know, $15 to get into to a game. Good tickets are up to 100, 150 bucks. That's fine. That's that's that is what it is. But if you make games free to get into Monday through Thursday, first you're going to have more fans come in. Second, you're going to sell more stuff in the ballpark. Mhm. So why why not do that? I think that's a great idea. Oakland does it once. Uh, Oakland does it a couple times a year. I, I'm sure, and it works. I bet. I bet it works because oh, you're that, still that spending. Yeah, you're still spending. You're still spending money in the ballpark, correct? You're still yeah. spending money on parking. Don't allow food to come in. Is Fifty bucks. Yeah, don't allow food to come in Monday through Thursday. That's fine. You know, make people spend money in in your own ballpark, but getting into the game is free. You know, that's that's fine with me. I'm I'm all for that. I I really like that idea. That was a idea brought up on that video and of course guys if you didn't watch the video go youtube foolish baseball it'll pop up it's a great video i really enjoyed it so those are my rules i like all the rule changes that you guys have said i think that stuff needs to be done and we're going to see it next year in the cba agreement which is going to be hell i'm not going to lie to you guys like next off season is going to really be crazy it's going to suck too so yeah I, I mean i don't really have anything else do you guys have any final thoughts brock anything you want to you know, bring up. I know we've been talking now for almost an hour, but no, I, I don't. I don't think I do have really anything. I think uh, I do like that thought, though. I really do like that idea with the with the going and getting in for free and all that. I think I think that would really be cool. And I, I mean, especially you know, I guess you would say a lot of people you know work during the week, but you know, take a day off of work and take the family to the to the game. You know, on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, the stadium won't be crazy packed. You know, you'd you'd sell out games like during the week. What? You'd sell out games during the week. There'd be nobody in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean... That doesn't make sense. It's... <laughs> I mean, I, I, do, I do like that idea for sure. And even if, they, even if they did it like, you know, every team had their own specific day where it's like, hey, you know, every Tuesday for the whole season, you know, come in, even if it wasn't free. Like a normal a normal ticket, right? Like a normal ticket at Angel Stadium, depending on where you're sitting. I, I usually spend like twenty to thirty bucks a ticket. Um, but you know, maybe do like eighty to ninety percent off tickets. You know, for no matter what seat. Like, hey, come in five dollar ticket games. You know, even something like that where they can pay a little bit for each seat. And like you said, they're going to pay concessions and all that stuff. And, you know, even if they were to do it one day a week, every Tuesday of the season, instead of all throughout the week, just one day a week so that people can go there and enjoy, you know, basically a free game, you know, whenever they whenever they please on a weekday. But I like that idea. Yep, I'm all for it. Nate, anything else you want to add on? Um, I just think with Brock's ideas, you could have had an Albert Pool for Dexter Fowler trade straight up and both teams would have been happy. 
Um, and I think you also could see more pitchers signing with American League teams because a lot of these pitchers know, hey, I get a free out every every ninth hitter. So, yeah, you might get some guys who are like, wow, I have to face the DH no matter what. I'm just going to sign with the team I want to sign with rather than hopefully lower my ERA and make some more money. So, yeah, I like everything. It's good. Yep, I'm all for it. So, guys, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Jared underscore Tims. You can follow Brock at BDROX8. Nate, where can we follow you so we can go complain because you're the scapegoat this year? Uh, Nate Green, 34. Yep, go follow all those guys, complain to them, talk to them, have a lot of fun with them. They uh, know their baseball. They enjoy talking baseball as well. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and have a great rest of your day. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.